This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-patrollable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Blank Podcast, the podcast where we delve into those frustrating moments with some well-known people. I'm Jim Daly, and joining me, as ever, it's the wonderful Giles Paley-Phillips. Oh, back to wonderful. Have I used that already? Yeah. <laughs> We've Sorry. been around the houses on the I've run superlatives. Out of, I've run out of superlatives. Yeah. To, yeah. Well, it's not to bad be fair, one. actually, most weeks when I post about the podcast on Twitter and social, well, other social medias, I, I've, there's either wonderful, amazing, or incredible. Brilliant. The, I use brilliant yeah. a lot. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah, brilliant. But the thing is that they... Our guests are brilliant. They are and brilliant. wonderful yeah, yeah. and amazing. So yeah. you're not lying. Well, yeah, but it's, I need to look at get a thesaurus or something and maybe, maybe find yeah. out some other words. Stupendous. Yeah, need to sort of dive into the cinnamons and try to come up with some better words. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Um, so look, but before we talk about this week's pod and introduce our guest, we got a bit of news, haven't we? Very exciting news. Yeah, we're going to do our first live podcasts. Live podcasts. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a bit... Because <laughs> <laughs> no, it's quite nice when we're in a room with just us and the guest. It's quite, you know, it doesn't feel like there's too much pressure, but we're going to be in front of a live audience. Apart from people walking past Well, yeah, there's always windows. the bar. Yeah, of course, you know, and then there's the people that hang around at the bar we use. But, you know, it's not quite the same as being in front of a live audience. But then um, having said that, there is nothing like being in front of a no, live audience. Exactly. It is brilliant. And the interaction will be, yeah. be really interesting to see how... Also, see how, you know, how this podcast comes across with a live audience because you just don't know well we'll find out very quickly um because and we're doing these live pods at latitude festival oh which what how lucky is that so lovely to be asked to be involved and uh those big thanks to uh kirsty and the organizers at latitude for asking us and it's just you know it's going to be such a privilege to be there Uh, i've always wanted to go to latitude anyway so great to be there and actually doing the podcasts in front of a live audience there so that's great it's gonna be very exciting we can't reveal who our guests no but that we will very soon yeah and uh, good, we're though. there on the 19th. <laughs> we are. The Friday. The Friday. Yeah. yeah. So if you happen to be going to Latitude, come and find us. Yeah. And come and say hello. Say hi. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. We would love that. We would. Uh, and, and saying hello this week is our <laughs> guest. That's, that's not a great so Um Is uh, Rufus Sewell. Rufus Sewell. What a legend. Oh, such a legend. I mean, I first saw Rufus in a movie called Dark City. Mm-hmm. which was a great movie by Alex Proas, was the director. It came out kind of the same time as The Matrix, but it was a kind of similar dystopian, kind of futuristic, dark, noir kind of film, uh, but didn't get as me- 
it didn't get the critical acclaim that The Matrix did. And yeah. I just remember thinking it was a real shame because it was such a great movie. And he was brilliant in it. And he's sort of brooding, mm. which he, he kind of plays a lot of those kind of brooding characters. He does, yeah. And in fact, he, I forgot to mention to you in our chat, but mm. he also is in one of my wife's favourite movies, which is called Martha Meets... Well, I think it's called Martha Meets Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, but it's actually called Martha Meets Frank, Daniel and Lawrence. Right. Um, which I think it was a nine, 90s, late 90s movie, but apparently yeah. he's very good in that as well. So. So um, I forgot to mention that in the chat, but I thought I'd mention it in now because yeah, I think yeah. he's in quite a lot of people's favourite movies. He is, he is. He's very prolific, actually. He's been in a lot of stuff. And obviously, most recent years, he's been involved with the, the, the huge Amazon show, The Man in the High Castle, which, and he plays a sort of slightly shady character. Which but he I talks mean, about. Yeah, he did talk about chat. that. And, yeah, and, and actually, he's kind of been known for play villains often, actually, and he's, I mean, he's very good at doing that. But in real life, he's a very, very nice chap. He is a very, very nice chap, and you're going to discover that right now because we're going to go straight into our talk with Rufus Sewell on The Blank Podcast. I know, I have, a, I have a book that I place on the coffee table, and it just sits there. Yeah. You know, it's sat there for about two years. Yeah. But different books, obviously. Yeah. I, I, I shift them around. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but, I went to a house the other day, and they had a whole wall bookcase with loads of books. It looked amazing. They hadn't read any of them. Yeah. It looked incredible. Well, I think we do get them now as interior sort of things, don't we? They're just, just well, they did that case. recent interior design suggestion, which was the books, but facing the other way. So you get that lovely oh, look. Just, 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 just the pages. <laughs> but like, oh, you, you don't know which book is which, obviously, but they look great. I mean, just, that was fabulously horrifying. I've seen that in a, <laughs> I've seen like a Waterstone or something do that as a sort of, as a like, uh, kind of marketing. Yeah, I think you get them like in Weatherspoons now too, <laughs> with, with the kind of old cricket yeah. bats yeah. and yeah. like, you know. Weatherspoons. Weatherspoons Library. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going back a little. Yeah, I'm going to say. Wow. Yeah. yeah. We were learning quite a lot already on today. So, so I apologise for your coffee not being quite as nice as yours. Mm. Um, this is... This mm. is cafe. Yeah. Well, it's cake, <laughs> actually. Americano. <laughs> <We've got laughs> it comes in a tin. Oh, no, it's good. I've got it's, the mug. It's tin-packed, so apparently it keeps the freshness in. That's, yeah. So that's apparently oh, how it works. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering how this works. <laughs> <laughs> Other coffees are available. Yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> um, Right, we yeah, other better ones like yours, for yeah, example. probably like yeah, 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 from a proper coffee shop, right? Um, or other, yeah, or other high street. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we're not sponsored by any of them, so no. We? Well, but uh, give it time. Plainly, <laughs> we, uh, we would though, would they? Yeah. Rufus Sewell, welcome to the Bank Podcast. Thank you. Lovely to be here. It's very nice to see you. You're, you've been busy. Um, I've been dramatically unbusy up until the two, mo- two weeks leading up to today, okay. which is the ideal way to have it. But I finished a job yeah. yesterday night, which nearly spilled over into this morning. Yeah. So I'm glad that didn't happen. Did you do many night shoots? No, no. no. It was just the last day. So they, yeah. they went a little bit late. Yeah, a bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to try to accommodate you. Oh, thank you. Well, that's very kind. They got word. It's great, and it's a wet day today, so it's yeah. not actually great, is yeah. it? Um, okay, so we normally start the podcast by going back to school days. Yeah. What was school like? Because you, you, you're from London originally, from, or Twickenham? Yeah, Twickenham. Yeah. I grew up in Twickenham. Between kind of, I had a strange upbringing that was kind of set me up quite nicely for being a kind of. Um, Equal opportunities imposter. <laughs> <laughs> that I had a bit of suburbia, really, which is Twickenham, which is a lovely, lovely, tiny little place. Um, and Soho, where my dad's studio was, because he was an animator, and we saw That's him at weekends. Yeah. Yeah. And he did some stuff on one of the... Um, he did the yeah, Lucy and the Sky of Diamonds. Yeah. Oh, okay, Lucy and Sky of Diamonds, yeah. So when I was really little, because you know how conservative kids are. I mean, I remember 1975 stepping over the punks at the 101 Club. And like, They're dirty. And <laughs> <laughs> this little old lady. My son was the same. When he was that age, I called him Granny Billy. You know, because of that kind of slightly purse-mouthed little kind of thing. Um, so when I... You know, I was slightly embarrassed about how scritchy and scratchy my dad's Lucy in the Sky would die because I liked to kind of Hannah Barbera. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 okay. And then I grew older and realised that that is actually the most fantastic piece of it, you know. And he he did this tiny film in the 60s called Half in Love with Fred Astaire, which was basically rotoscope, his own technique, but it was mismatched, childlike 
rotoscope like a three-year-old with crayons trying to draw over a filmic image yeah. so he got all this stuff of fred and ginger dancing and stuff and then just basically oh, amazing fucked it up yeah 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 <laughs> um and th- someone saw that the the family legend is that the beatles saw that i think it's probably not true but but um asked him to kind of reproduce it for the film so now it's a, a source of enormous pride. But yeah, at the time, I was slightly embarrassed about that. That's quite that I was. That's quite pioneering technique, though, isn't it? Mm, kind of stuff. Well, I mean, actually, um, rotoscope was done in very early days. Of, if you watch Snow White and the really, really early form, you know, animation of Disney, that's all they did. Mm, they yeah. would get little act- actors and actresses, not necessarily little, something quite large, I imagine, um, to do. <laughs> to act out certain scenes and then they just draw around them, you know. But um, his technique was slightly, you know, 60s. <laughs> yeah. We'll put it that way. And your mum was artistic as well, is that right? Um, yeah, she still is, actually. Yeah. She'll tell you about her painting courses <laughs> at great length, if you like. So you're kind of destined to do, maybe, go into the creative arts? I don't know, not really. I mean, for me, one of the, the great liberations of getting older is admitting that ultimately I'm quite suburban. <laughs> you know, just thinking, oh, for fuck's sake, this kind of... And also the realisation that all of my heroes, you know, all of the people who invented what we think of as dangerous rock, they were all suburban. They were, you know. Yeah, yeah. The, the Stones and, you know, Bowie and... That actually, a lot, a lot of... I caused myself a lot of um, strain. <laughs> trying <laughs> to project to myself this idea of my own exoticism but actually I'm I'm a Twickenham boy you know mm. um and I kind of I think a feeling of being slightly not good enough when I was very young because our family was a bit odd maybe led me to a certain kind of fantasizing <laughs> you know because my family was quite um we were very poor I mean, my dad was, they weren't living together, but he was supposed to be kind of supporting us, but he generally mm. didn't. So at one point, my mum had a, a, she had various jobs, like works in pubs, and so she brought us up on her own, especially after my dad died when I was 10. But she worked, she had a vegetable round where she purloined this old black London cab, which we drove, which she oh, drove, okay. which didn't have the taxi sign on. And she'd drive that, and she'd get cheap or free vegetables from... Q markets, she'd kind of hoodwink it out the Barra Boys or whatever, and then she'd sell what wasn't rotten to, to a little collection of, you know, friends and housewives Okay, and what's stuff. down the street? Yeah, 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 and we'd live on what was left. So my mum would turn up to pick me up, and this shoeless six-foot woman with wild hair <clears throat> in a black London cab full of rotting <laughs> pomegranates oh would turn to pick me up from school, you know. Your mum sounds fantastic. Yeah, she's began to sound fantastic when I reached my teens. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. Up till then, it was a little bit more of a complex proposition. Well, yeah, did you feel that then? Then you did felt like oh, in that kind like, of conservative yeah. way, yeah, yeah. like you know, I wasn't like the other mums, which of course was the best thing in the world. But, yeah. You know, yeah, you don't necessarily appreciate that when you're seven, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's a, that's a young thing anyway. You don't always appreciate no, exactly. what you've got in general, being it's the suburban lifestyle or. Yeah, and all this, especially if you watch and believe the TV. I remember, you know, that I'd watch these adverts and think, we don't eat portions that small. What's wrong with us? You know, why don't we eat mini Kievs and Finders? You know, like, why don't we all dress in white and eat ski yogurt? It made me think that was so... The 70s were great, weren't they? (laughs) I just think, oh, is that what all the other families are like? Yeah. You know, God, so this feeling of, like, having to pass for one of those kind of clean... You know, families that all dress, we don't have shit all over their clothes, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, when I was older and I realised that, you know, friends of my mum's had kids who were also in my school. It made me realise, oh, they're kind of normal people <laughs> too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what was school like then? Was it difficult with that? Um, yeah, I didn't really immediately fit in at school. I think it came as a bit of a shock to me. Um, and I think, you know, I... I I ended up being like I was a truant. It's difficult to know okay. how much of it was a reaction to my mm. dad dying out of the blue when I was ten. You know, when people always used to suggest to me, so was it basically a psychological reaction? I thought, oh, fuck off, of course it would, but <laughs> yeah, it yeah. probably was. Don't be so cliched. Yeah, I'm just an individual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, yes, actually, yes, yeah. that's what it was about. You know, and I. Uh, just going on that because yeah. I lost my mum when I was very yeah, young and it yeah. was it was never really talked about in the house like I don't know if you had a similar experience where it was kind of 
she'd gone she'd, she'd passed away and it was kind of we had to like it was almost like get on with it and move on it was never really something that was talked about particularly and, and, and certainly I think it's come out in later life though yeah yeah reaction to that yeah um, I don't know if you had a similar well I think what's come out in later life is my entire personality <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> it's like if people ask me what's that like I mean my question my answer to that has often been I don't know what it's like for that not to happen yeah well yeah like you know yeah. Um, but it's not so much that it wasn't talked about. We talked about Bill a lot, but I don't think we really talked about the effect of it yeah. and the trauma of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean <clears throat> my mum ended up being a social worker. You know, she's very sensitive. You know, but still, there's lots of things that I thought were great about my childhood in mm. terms of, <clears throat> you know, the fact that my mum and dad split up, but we weren't fully aware. I now realise that actually that's kind of confusing as well. So a lot mm. of the things you think of as being very good ways of dealing with things actually possibly the more painful way of dealing with it might have been more healthy. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there's definitely an element of that. But, yeah, I mean, my secondary school, I mean, I was a truant, I was trying to attend. What did you do on your deck when you were bunking off? Was it just hanging down the park? Yeah, I mean, in the end, it was was slovenliness and cowardice rebranded as rebellion. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I, I'd kind of oversleep. I'm an anarchist. Yeah, exactly. I'd oversleep I to... and I'd be too scared to come up and make an excuse so I wouldn't yeah. go in. And then I wouldn't know how to explain how I got, wouldn't got in so I'd miss another day. And yeah. that just became a thing. It was basically anxiety. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I was like, it, I, it took me years later to realise that I was kind of ruled by this kind of hidden anxious insects inside me that was yeah. operating the controls and somehow between where that little bubble where that creature lived and the outside it managed to retranslate itself as ebullience but basically that was all bollocks yeah, yeah. you know so people it, isn't that a lot of what yeah all of us especially young kids are dealing with anyway absolutely but it's fantastic to recognize it because there's nothing inside you that's that's unhealthy it, it, you give it more power by refusing to acknowledge its existence yeah, you shine yeah. a light on it and then you can think all oh, right there's this part of me that can be like that yeah. i can be a bit like this if you know it and you own it it doesn't have the same power over you and you can mm. kind of watch it pass by <laughs> you know yeah. hopefully rather than realize at the end of a long day or a long relationship <laughs> that actually that it had, had a bit more to do with it yeah yeah and it starts to explain stuff as well yeah of course you can sort of use it to yeah, yeah. explain things that have happened or the way you've reacted to stuff. you can use it to excuse everything and move on <laughs> <laughs> so obviously academically then you, you maybe didn't put in as much effort as you could have done maybe. no but again I think a lot of that was was fear you know I mean, often they see in, in you know. It, I think it's often the case that laziness is actually fear yeah. with a mask on. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. sometimes it's just laziness with with no mask on. But um, that was that was a habit of mind that actually continued into drama school. That I, it was one of the first things I'd actually thought to do. It's one of the you know I'd actually had some agency in that. I decided that I wanted to audition for drama school. My teacher at what was basically a sixth form college lent me the money to audition because you have to pay for it. And then I got up early in the morning, which was miraculous in itself. I set an alarm, I made it, I learned speeches, I went there, I got in, and then I turned up and I was, I had the habits of a truant. It was just, you know, and it, it took a bit of a kind of scare to break that. And I realised <clears throat> almost too late that it wasn't just that. It was a tendency. I had a fear of over-rehearsing. Oh, OK. I, or, or, which manifested itself as being late or not doing my work or whatever. But it took me a while to work out what that was. It's, I was kind of scared that the only chance at any kind of magic or, you know, juice that I had was based on... Um, not so much lack of preparation, but the initial buzz, the excitement, yeah. you know, that nervous energy. Mm. And I had a terror that once that went away, there was nothing left. Because I'd had one experience very early on where I'd done <clears throat> a reading at um, a drama group. And it had just gone down like a house on fire and everyone was slapping me on the back. And then we came to do it on stage two weeks later and it was just, shit, it wasn't there. Wow. And I thought, God, I'm... because I think I'd worried it into out of existence. So... 
as a as an effort to make sure that never happened again, I tried to fox them out of rehearsals, which you, you can't sustain for an entire career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In a way, that does that sounds like there is some sense behind that to me. I mean, I'm not well, there's certainly natural. sense within that kind of little that circle of pathology. It's yeah. certain, well, that's the problem with all of these things. There's a certain you know sense. You can certainly think your way into the most terrible trouble. You know, um, you know, it was a there was a logic to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but it's not it, there isn't it's well it's a trap also right. you can you know um <clears throat> after a while what i realized and i realized it because i had to i didn't you know all the wisdom that i've come to has been i've been dragged towards it all the wisdom i don't have a lot but such as i have i've been dragged to kicking and screaming having for everything i know now there i have got a collection of memories of doing the opposite <laughs> and I'm waiting for the results to just steamroll over me. But so I did a job, and I had to do it for months and months and months. I was lucky enough to get a job after I left drama school, and I had, to, and all of that nervous energy did disappear. And for a while, I was left with something empty, and then something started to come in its place that was based on relaxation, and it was a revelation to me. And the, and with that, it meant that the fear went away because I realised that a lot of it. it the only problems that I was suffering from were a kind of negative demon inside me. Mm. Yeah. I, I call it the god of, and that's why you can't have nice things. You know, <laughs> it's a little voice that goes, oh, it's going to go wrong now. And, you know, and why, is it, why do you even bother? Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, that yeah, little yeah, yeah. Oh, typical, yeah. you know. And um, so it's been, it's, that's been quite um, revelatory, you know. Um, it's been a slow process, but you know, it's. But it, when I look back at my time at school, when I look back at my time at, at drama school, you know, rather than <clears throat> complain in the past about not getting breaks, I, you know, I used to think about things I didn't get and jobs I should have got. But now, when I look back, I think God, I was so lucky to have got the jobs that I did. Actually, yeah. considering mm. it should be, you know, gratitude is quite a useful thing to get hold of, you know. Yeah. And actually looking back and thinking, actually considering my mindset, I'd been unbelievably fortunate. Fortunate to still be around to practice whatever I've learned, you know. Is that voice ever still there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But now I just say, there you go. <laughs> you know. I remember sitting in a room where someone was talking about being hard on themselves. And they were just quite moving little, you know. And I remember this little voice in my head went quite hard on yourself and then another voice went no you're not you fucking cunt and I called you you little you know <laughs> like an e little evil Jiminy Cricket <laughs> <laughs> but what was it about I can laugh at it yeah, no, I know, yeah. if I catch it <laughs> But what was it about drama, really? Because obviously we've said you know you weren't particularly you know you weren't into academia as such. What was it about drama that caught your attention or wanted made you want to you know continue to do it? I don't know. <clears throat> so it's quite interesting. Interesting. I mean, I scoff sometimes at interviews because, or not just interviews, but people talking about their lives. People, you know, our habit of narrativizing. Mm. our history in this linear form and that was the day that I realised all this <laughs> yeah, stuff yeah. that people say it's not now, that's not how life happens and when people tell you why they did things it's not necessarily true Yeah, you know it, it's, it's like a memory every time you revisit it you revisit it based on the requirements of that moment of remembering and that's yeah. when it gets reshaped next time you remember it that's the memory you come to this reshape one so these things kind of transmogrify according to the needs, you know, of the ego or whatever. <clears throat> so I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that when I was really young, I, I played Rumpelstiltskin in a school play. Oh, it's the great greats. Part. Have you seen my Rumpelstiltskin? <laughs> yeah. It's such a great part. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and I was larger than any of the other kids, so I had these little boots coming out my knees. So I'd go, Oh, were I'd, you? Yeah. Like... Yeah. Like Cluzo, do you remember that? That's exactly <laughs> like Cluzo's um, um, Latrec. Yeah. And I came out and I remember my first line. Hello, pretty lady, why do you cry? I remember. And still got the voice. I was still got the voice. Hard to get away from it sometimes. And I was a sensation. 
<laughs> I mean, to, to the point that There's years later, the crowd, yeah. <laughs> not just that, to the point that years later, people's parents would refer to me as Rumpelstiltskin. Oh, really? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Still now, stopped in the street. Actually, I remember your Rumpelstiltskin. Actually, actually, about eight years ago, I was in Twickenham, and I didn't have any identification on my checkbook or anything, and I needed some money from Lloyd's Bank. And I went in and asked if I could see someone, a kind of manager, and I pleaded and begged and blah, blah, blah. And she said, that's all right, Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> Finally, I'm getting, getting something from my work, you know. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so was it that buzz of the crowd then, because obviously it went down well? Yeah, so for, for whatever yeah. reason, so I think whatever was, oh, like whatever was, you know, broken and crippled in me was pre-broken before my dad died. <laughs> you know, I was yeah, already, yeah. you know. Um, <coughs> but, yeah, that... It was, it, I don't know, it just expressed something. I, you know, the reasons you do something can change. And that, yeah. it was definitely just a, an enormous portion, round about 100%, of just showing off and wanting the attention. Why I felt <laughs> I needed that, who, who's anyone's guess. Yeah. But, you know, it still is still an element of that, but it's been replaced by other things that I get from it now. I mean, you know. Um, but, and then I went to, I, I think in a way it just gave me access to stuff that I wasn't able, that maybe in some ways, I know I hate how typically English this sounds because I don't think of myself as repressed, but in some ways, mm-hmm. um, maybe I was able to express things or examine things. Not when I was playing Rubble Stillskin, I simply <laughs> do pretend. That's right, it really taught me. No, um, but, but later on, I think maybe that was, you know, it, it expressed something. So it's been a kind of therapy for you in some ways. Don't know. Exploring, exploring yourself. I don't know. That, that sounds. Well, it's a good <laughs> opportunity to be honest with yourself. It's not narcissistic, but yeah, you know, yeah, to to explore human nature and human the human condition a little bit through your acting. Yeah, or to kind of fess up to yourself about who yeah. you are, you know. And like, I always find that quite interesting. It's like, you know, okay, but I'm going to judge this person. In what circumstances would I do that? How could I do that? And think that I was a reasonable person you know and you can kind of you have to um, I don't know if brave's a bit, bit, bit big word because it's not brave but you know you have to just look at yourself honestly um, because actually I, I believe and it also gives you empathy for other people because it's you know if you can examine yourself it stops you from judging other people with such a kind of closed minded way that you can see that people can arrive at things that's why you know been very interesting doing this last TV series I was doing Man in the High Castle I was mm. reading as much as I could I wanted to know about how normal people got through went through that what story did they, they tell themselves you know people that weren't evil people people that had their their fair share of you know 50, 50, 40, 60 you know good and bad or whatever you call it you know and um, approaching from, from that point of view you know what would I have done do you think I've got three questions about that firstly do you think people in the arts end up being more empathetic as a result of that not necessarily not necessarily I think there's I mean I mean yes one could generalise and say that you know um, in order to be a you know a lot of very good critics have a a lack of empathy (laughs) I don't mean that in some kind of you know uh vengeful way but I just mean an ability to just judge something strictly on face value without you know um, I, I've thought that in the past but yeah it's it's possible but I'm not suggesting that you know well people are different you know, people, yeah, everyone, yeah. Everyone's different. some people are surprisingly <laughs> lacking that <laughs> as people but have qualities in what they do mm. yeah. you know it can be quite surprising when, when you meet people who have seem to have enormous um empathy and, and warmth and intelligence when they work but they have a much more kind of brittle energy in real life it's always quite interesting that, that is interesting. and vice versa mm. like it's almost like a sort of switch that once yeah i mean happens. well or or the fact that it is there is only one route for for that part mm. of them and that's not always the case often it's you'll find that the qualities that people show are the qualities they have but sometimes it can be surprising you know that people who <clears throat> who you were attracted to on screen because they have a kind of doe-eyed availability. You meet them and you immediately see a flintiness in the eye that wasn't there, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And vice versa, I have to believe, because I play so many baddies. Well, <laughs> you know? that's my next question. Yeah, yeah. yeah because and you've, I know you've spoken in the past about it as yeah. well, but why do you... Why do you well, my attitude's changed about that. 
Not anymore. I, I have a certain amount of... I don't worry so much about what people think because I realised that the people whose opinions I was worrying about were the people, by definition, whose op opinions I didn't respect. They, they were the only ones I cared about. Because the people whose opinions I respected, I didn't worry about what they thought because mm. I kind of felt they had my back. It was, it was the twats I was worried about. Yeah. You know, the people who didn't have that, you know, because people are generally the kind of people that I like, kind of like me or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the other lot. Why don't they like, you know. Just, you know, I think it's one of the advantages of getting older um, is that now I've realised I, I don't, there's nothing I need to prove, you know. Mm. I mean, I, I, I'm no longer in doubt myself. I think, you know, the evidence, if you want to know that I can do other things, the evidence is out there. If you're not going to see that, there's nothing I can do, you know. Yeah. You end up trapped in a little circle, which, you know, you have to be aware that you're doing half of that. So I just, I think of myself... I'm retired from that level of thinking now, and I pop out of retirement every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, this is a statement what, what of intent. You, yeah. what, what brings you back out of retirement then? Um, well, for me, um, what I've been in the business of trying to jump out of, the bubble I've been trying to jump out of, is the idea of results the idea that what you're doing something for is for an improved life after that thing mm. you know if i do this then this yeah. Yeah. because if you're in that mindset which i realized i what well, i blew a lot of my life you know every that's why i would kind of run into some kind of trouble one way or another when i was doing dream jobs because there's you know it's a very overused phrase but there's no there there you know when, if I get this, then, you know, that's when my life will start. And you get there and nothing happens. Yeah. You know. Always reaching. Yeah, always yeah. reaching, you know. Um, and that way, there's, there's, you trick yourself out of any kind of happiness, mm. you know. I don't mean ha the happiness of achievement, because that's a, that's a racket. I mean the happiness of just... That's why I realised I love doing theatre. Not always, but generally love doing theatre. People say, well, is that, you know, your contact with the crowd? No, it's going to the same place every day. Having a sandwich in the same place. Routine. Routine. Yeah. The realisation that I am suburban. <laughs> I am not as rock and roll as I... This was my fears that I wasn't. Yeah, yeah. You know, why be afraid? I actually, realising that's all just toxic bollocks mm. is the key to kind of starting to enjoy your life you know that is a really powerful <clears throat> realization mm. god it took a while yeah yeah because you know either you get hung up on the idea of a job leading to a thing which will be the moment you know yeah. because as soon as you get the job the job's importance as an experience is completely evaporates because it's replaced by the next stone you're trying to leap on mm. so everything you've got is suddenly not good enough because it's the thing you've got and then it becomes this other thing and maybe that other thing is another job or maybe it's the reaction to the job or the new way you'll be seen it's just a it's a trap well, we had Hal Cruttendon on and he was talking about progressing in his career and going from I really want this to then you get it think oh I might lose this exactly well um, I yeah a new fear is replacing yeah, the other yeah. one yes exactly I haven't got there yet um, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got things and thought, Christ, I might be stuck with this. Um, you know, kind of fear of that. But yes, I, I hear that's what happens. And, you know, I just tend to think that we seem to have our uh, allotted, you know, pie charts worth of um, insecurity and worry and satisfaction complaints. And we take that with us in a little bag wherever we go in life. You know, we yeah, either yeah. pay too much attention to that or not. So now what I'm trying to do, I'm not saying I'm, you know, um, over it entirely, but I'm getting closer. Is I just try to enjoy jobs yeah. or things or unemployment. Yeah. For, you know, at the moment, having a... Yeah, I mean, I... <laughs> yeah, yeah, for no, years, no. I don't... I don't... I'm now unemployed. I don't know what my next job is. And I didn't work for two months before this. I just worked for two weeks, basically. And it's been bliss, I have to admit, knowing that I have a two-week job because that just stopped yeah. the anxiety. Yeah. But I've got a five-year-old girl. Yeah. 
And I've also got a 17-year-old boy who's now six foot four and a half. <laughs> so I know that this little sausage-faced, you know, squidgy, you know, she's five years old, and, you know, it doesn't last. It goes so quickly. And what's more important than that, you yeah. know? It's, if I read a script now, I said, is this better than being with my little girl. It's not that I'm ever going to read anything and go, yeah, actually, this is better. <laughs> but, but is this good enough yeah. at least to, like, you know... Or is when, it worth my time? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, when I read a play, I love doing theatre, but I'm really fussy about it. And I, when I do a play is when I read a play and I go, oh, fuck, I'm doing this. You know, and then you yeah, have to work yeah, out yeah, that. Yeah, if I don't yeah. feel that... So, what I, for me, because I, 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 I was never into money... So I was always really bad with it. And I would end up in situations where I'd have to work. And I've never done anything that I thought would be bad. I always thought I could get, you know, but at the moment I'm just trying to kind of not get tempted to spend money on nonsense. Mm. By nonsense, I mean holidays, anything like that, because I want to be able to say no to things I'm not in love with. And it gets very difficult because after a while, in the past what's happened is that I've been so fussy that after a year or nine months of not working, the thing that I eventually say yes to is not quite as good as the stuff I've been turning down. Yeah. I had a presenting job recently that got offered to me. Really didn't want to do it. So I quoted really high. Yeah. They came back and said yes. And I was like, yes, I want the money. Oh, shit, I've got to do the job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually, it was fine in the end. Yeah. The um, producers. Yeah. <laughs> but what are you like in those sort of downtown moments then? Much better than I used to be. Much better than I used to be. I mean, now I, I really love my little routine. When I, you know, I live in Los Angeles, as I said, but the reason I lived there, I went there with a job and then I met someone, so I stayed. But my, when people say, I mean, actually, weirdly enough, the one thing that happened, me moving to Los Angeles, is that England suddenly fancied me again. You know, this kind of <laughs> desperate, but, but good, kind of way. It's like, oh, could you come back from, you know, Hollywood? Yeah, yeah. Um, but in fact, when I was there... And when I am there, I don't have anything to do with the business. I don't really go out. I don't you know, do any of that stuff anymore. So when I do, I rather enjoy it. <laughs> like, you know, if I ever do a red carpet thing, I'm like, oh, I've seen a celebrity. Yeah. You know, <laughs> because it's just not my life at all. Yeah. You know, I, I think there's possibly a world I could inhabit in which whatever level of notari notoriety I have would have some currency. Mm. And I do everything to keep away from that particular, yeah. you know, it's death. You know, I don't want to talk to anyone who, who that means something to in that way, you know. But it could suck you in, though, I imagine, especially doing that there. Not really. I don't find it very attractive, you know. Oh, even if you don't want to do I suppose so. Well, not if you're sitting at home watching, you know, watching telly <laughs> <laughs> with, your, with your daughter. Yeah. I mean, it's, but no, I don't, I don't feel um, in danger of that because it's just not part. I mean, I... To the extent that I can go out and just kind of enjoy that every, well, literally every two or three months after I go out and yeah. see people, you know, and for me it's quite funny. Yeah. But it's so not part of my life. Actually, when I come to London, it's a bit more showbiz, to tell you the truth. Um, can yeah. I go yeah. back just one minute? Sorry, Jules. No, you were talking, at, this is ages ago in the podcast, um, about a, the teacher that gave you money. Yeah, yeah. For, what was that, for drama, for drama Yeah, I paid it back. <laughs> Tina Hurley, who still comes to see my plays. That's amazing because yeah, we've yeah. had a lot of people on this podcast, and, uh, certainly in the acting world, and they've nearly always come back to one teacher somewhere. Yeah, 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 mentor, yeah, yeah. Believed mentor in them, yeah, yeah. said you should do this, said what you're doing this, you should try acting. Yeah, sure. Well, she even wrote to set because I was the on the waiting list for Central. I had to go back and audition five times, which is the thing that stays with you for three years because people would be like, it had that had some kind of currency. Yeah, okay. So okay. people would say, so. Uh, did you get in first time? I, I got in first time. Did you have a recall? I was like, yeah, I had five. <laughs> you know, it's like the grades of how, yeah. you know, prom like how much promise you, you had. Yeah. Exactly. So me and my mate Peter de Jersey, who's like my best mate, um, we both were in the last recall together. And I remember looking at him and thinking, he, he looks like a wanker. And he thought the same about me. <laughs> um, and um, we both got... But in between... Tina Hurley wrote them a letter saying, no, he's, he is good. <laughs> you might think he's a bit shit, but he's really, really good. Um, and she told me about it. She told me that she was exaggerating, which was nice. Um, and I don't know how much sway that had on it, but when I said, oh, I've got to drama school now, I don't need to do my A-levels, she said, I'll write to them again, you little shit, and I'll tell them <laughs> I was making it up. Because um, I thought, no, but I don't really need to, because I'm not going to you know, do anything else. Um, so me and Pete got in. And it took a while for the cloud of being a five recall, you know, student 
to lift. But me and Peter were the first two to get jobs as well. So, you know, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> but it's amazing, isn't it, that, that people in, that, in those positions, like Tina Hurley, Tina Hurley mm-hmm. can have that influence. She still it? runs the course. That's amazing. Mm. Yeah. Fidas. So you that name of the course? Yeah, Fidas. I just film, love that. Film, English, drama and art studies. I just love that, that there's someone that can have yeah, that yeah. influence. Because and, and... I was broke, you know. It's really, any, this thing of like, you know, all the actors, you know, not, not enough working class. I mean, I, I was a strange mix because I was probably one of the poorest families in the school because we were on free school dinners and blah, blah, blah. But I was quite well spoken. We, we had books and a piano, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a mixture, like, you know, as I said, an imposter everywhere, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People took the piss out of me for being a bit posh, you know. Really? Was, yeah. Or sound, you know, not being. Um, yeah. Do you feel I get that? I don't, I don't think I'm. Do I sound posh? I don't think I sound no, no, but no one thinks I'm everything. <laughs> the thing is, we don't have an accent, do we? <laughs> no, 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 yeah, no, no, yeah. But it's similar because I've obviously got double bowed names yeah, and sort yeah, of yeah. thing. But yeah, I mean, my, my, my dad was, um, I mean, they're quite middle class, but then his, his parents were working class. Yeah, know, my granddad was a, a great granddad was a Welsh miner and you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and my dad was from Australia, so who knew what that meant? You know, <laughs> yeah, kind of, yeah. He was kind of mysterious about his background. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess one of your big breaks was when you did a play and Judy Dench was it wasn't a play. No, that was a wasn't drama a school. It was a drama school, was it? Yeah, it was a drama school and it was a kind of nightmare for me. Oh day, really? Na- nightmare day. It was a because I don't know if I've ever told this story. It was so embarrassing. But I was so... Talk about anxiety. I... She came... She was doing Macbeth, which I can say because we're not in a theatre. And I was really disappointed to be cast as the porter because when I was at drama school, I just did comedy, right? Or I do my serious roles. And I, you know, everyone, oh, I just... I, I look at you and I laugh. And I, was, uh, and I think, fuck off. I'm yeah, a serious actor. Good, yeah. but, you know, <laughs> exactly. But... But funnily enough, that hello little lady, that voice was, I always did play little old men and stuff like that. And when I didn't get cast as one of the kind of striding dudes, and I was, you know, the porter, I thought, bloody typical, you know. But I did. You nailed it. uh, Yeah, well, I eventually (laughs) did. I eventually nailed it. But on the day, on the night before the read-through, I was so paranoid about oversleeping. I had a long journey. I had to come in from Hounslow, which is a really, really long, you know. And I didn't have any money to get the tube. I was so terrified because I couldn't get to sleep. It was like one in the morning, whatever. I had to be there at nine or something, or ten in room A. And I remember I set an alarm clock, and then I had another alarm clock by the door, and then I had an alarm call, which at the time is quite expensive. And I woke up, and it was eleven. And I woke up and realised what the time was and I just sat on the edge of the bed keening for a little while, just thinking, my life is over, it's over, it's over, it's over. And my brother came in and said, your fucking alarms were so annoying. I said, what? He said, yeah, I turned them off. They were like... So my brother had just turned off all the alarms. And I remember sitting there and thinking, okay, okay, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll go out in the street and I'll get a bit knocked over. And then I'll call from the hospital. And then, yeah, yeah. I mean, I seriously thought that at one point. And then I realised I had no money. And I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll get a cab in. But then I'll get the cab to take me to Lloyd's. And then I'll beg and see if they can give me some money. So that's what I did. And then I got to the door and it was like quarter to 12. And I I walked down. I could see through the porthole. I just thought, what can you, what what can you, you know. And I just couldn't open the door. I just stood there and I encountered... 10, I'm going to open the door. And then I just couldn't. And then suddenly the door opened and Judy Dench was there. And she said, Rufus, I presume. <laughs> and they went, yeah. And she said, never be late again, Rufus. I went, oh, I won't be. <laughs> and, um, and she forgave me, but I was like, you know, two hours early every day after that. I started sleeping in the cushion loft above the theatre because it was the only guaranteed way. Of, I was known for being, that was, that was my residence for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Directly above the second year showers, and people would give me a shout, and you're like, Rufus, yeah, yeah. Right, come down. <laughs> come <on."> <laughs> um, and, <clears throat> and in the end, it, I mean, I, you know, I was on super good behavior after that, but God, uh, the cloud of that. Um, and then eventually, um, I got a call from uh, Julian Belfridge Associates just when the, at the end of the play, 
who wanted to come in and talk to me. And like he was an awesome, you know, this agent who happened to look after Judy Dench and Daniel Day Lewis, you know, John Hurt, yeah, a lot yes, of my heroes. Yeah. And I also got a call from Tim Pickett Smith, <clears throat> who was doing a play, which was for for two parts. Gethin Price, who's this comedian in this play, comedians, um, who's like a kind of bit bit nuts, skinhead, you know. And also playing this Franciscan friar in The Royal Hunt of the Sun, a double. One that we were going to be touring around prisons, the other one that we were going to do in the theatre. So it's like a dream job. And I got that. And I found out afterwards that that's because Judy Dench had called them. Wow. And told them that there's this crawler who's turned up and been, you know, two hours early for them. <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah. you know, that was... I mean, it's... You know, I'll talk about it now because it's an you know, amazing story. But, but um, yeah, she's, she's not been very easy to thank for that. But... Um, that was my first. But then after that, I didn't work for ages. So this has been, I think, the making of me, not career-wise, but just it's meant that I've ended up having to have some kind of balance. <clears throat> because every time something like that has happened, there's been a correction, which is, you know, I'm, you know, I've always said, you know, or I used to say I was only ever two or three well-chosen compliments away from being a bit more of a wanker at any given point. <laughs> that as soon as I started thinking, oh, this um, acting career thing is going to be pretty straightforward, <laughs> you know, that suddenly it would all just fall oh, apart. Yeah. And I, I <laughs> yeah. was going to auditions with you, like, made for amazing things. And one by one, I just didn't get any of them. Mm. And then I just sat around. And that's been kind of the pattern in a, in a good way now that, that I don't worry about. You don't get car- never get carried away. You always, well, you know, yeah, it's not because yeah. I'm above it, I'm beside it. Or maybe yeah, I'm yeah. below it, so I really need to look out. Do you know what I mean? If I was yeah. above it, I wouldn't have to worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good way to be in general, to be fair with, so. any, with any work, really, isn't it? Yeah. Not to be too confident. All yeah, work can knock you back, can't it? Yeah, exactly. And also just to try and have some gratitude, which is, you know, difficult. Yeah. You can, be, you can be grateful one day and suddenly lose touch of it. You yeah. just find that your mind is wandering onto other things, and you know. Very true. Speaking of minds wandering, obviously this moment, this pod's about blank moments. This is a seamless segue. Yeah, that's kind of Have you had any blank moments? I mean, I'm on stage or, or in auditions or. Yes. You must have had loads, I'd imagine. But... Yes. What are you trying to say? Sorry. Yeah, looking at your career. In fact, brings the film Gods of Egypt to mind. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Um, yes, but my relationship. My attitude and my my affair with my blank moments has gone from being a very abusive one to a very, I think, kind of... You blank moments can, uh, are your muse. I mean, you know, but you can trick yourself otherwise. Uh, you know, I had an experience and have had a couple of times on stage of doing a play for a really long time. I did this play, Rock and Roll, which is a Tom Stopper play, which I did in London for about six months. And then we did it for a similar amount of time in New York. And towards the end of both of those runs, I started to have whiteouts on stage where that little voice, the, and this is why you can't have nice things voice, would start to go, you don't know what happens if you forget the next bit. You might not, you might not know the next bit. And that was really productive for a while because it meant that my way through the scene, which is, you know, I say this, I think this, I look at that, I, I react to this. Well, you know, that, so I've got a little kind of storyline to follow through so I don't have to worry about acting. I'm just doing stuff. After a while, there'd be gaps between that 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 voice could get into. Towards the end, when anxiety started to get me, where if I, there was a moment that I hadn't absolutely pinned down, that would happen. And after four or five months, I'd need to work out moments between the moments and that's so what it ended up being incredibly by necessity complex what I was doing as a kind of way of forestalling uh, oblivion <laughs> or a panic yeah, attack yeah, yeah. but it won in the end a little bit and the last week of both of those six months periods were white terror wow. you know because it was just a battle to you know I just sort of lost all my confidence and that was that started when I had a blank moment in which the actor opposite me just looked at me and I just looked at him as though we were all underwater and he was bobbing around. (laughs) It's like you, um, you know, when you know it too well, people talk about if you're not careful, you start doing your shopping. Imagine catching yourself doing that and jumping back, but jumping into the wrong one. So I found myself with my Tesco's bags on stage thinking, what are you doing in this aisle? (laughs) You know, and he gave me my line and I remember just 
shaking my head at him, saying, I'm, I'm, I'm in a different world. I don't even know what that means. And we got back. Mm. But from that moment onwards, I got scared of the blank. I got scared of that blank moment thinking that it was, you know, because actually it took me a while to for that fear to go because I just didn't I'd, I'd done a play every couple of years after that the first one was really scary I went through the whole thing thinking that might happen again mm. until the last play I did I can happily enjoy that because that's you know it's just like with improvisation you know mm. like you're not trying you're just open to it mm. um, <clears throat> so I think you know I've tried to I've tried to not I've tried to welcome that kind of blank back because in the right circumstances that's where nice stuff can happen. But it, it, it takes it does take a certain confidence for that, doesn't it? And that anxiety lack of fear. Of yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's I think for me the reason it happened on that particular play is because it's the first time I had been universally praised. It's the first time they're just like, you know, Sometimes it's quite healthy if someone says, oh, the best acting in the world, and you read another, oh, I'll read another one of those, and it yeah, says yeah, the yeah. wooden sewer, and you just think, ah! <laughs> and after a while, yeah, yeah. it kind of evens itself out. You feel like, I think someone else's phrase, like you feel like all your organs have been taken out and then put back in again. You know, it's just like, <laughs> you feel like you've had a bit of a jostle, but it ends up, you know. Yeah. So the first time I'd ever been universally praised, so I had this feeling that people were going, oh, this will be good. And it scared me, mm. you know. So I kind of... I think if people had been saying that I was a bit shit, I don't think that would have happened. Really? Yeah, that's my that's my theory. That's probably why it hasn't happened since. <laughs> <laughs> how are you with that kind of stuff? Because um, it comes up quite a lot, doesn't it, on the podcast? And we, we, you know, how sometimes you might get that one bad review. That yeah. Really sh- I think really I've changed. I think the play before last. I mean, I do read them because. I tried not to read them, and I became such a f- fevered over-interpreter of shoulder rubs after that mm. that someone would come and say, hey, and they'd hold you and think, why is the yeah. times bad? Well, so, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just became, in the end, I found that I could deal with people better if I knew it all. So I wasn't, I felt prepared for anything coming sure. at me. Um, and I had a quite a funny experience reading the reviews when we did Closer at the Don Marway House. That's the Patrick Marble. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I got a review from the Daily Mail that was so hilariously bad, and I read it late at night, and it made me genuinely laugh, because <laughs> the fucker got me. It wasn't true, but it, it was a bit true, actually. What was interesting is reading the terrible reviews and the, and the really good reviews, some saying a particular moment, oh, incandescent, or the other one saying, shit that they were both kind of right because yeah. sometimes it was good and sometimes it wasn't and you know yeah. anyway what's his name Tookie is that him or have I mixed him up Quentin Letts ah <laughs> well yeah I mean yeah. <laughs> I mean bless him um, said there was a moment when I clapped my hands to the side of my face in shock and I resembled an owl with a toothache and I thought you fucker you ruined my owl with a toothache moment <laughs> uh, but I, I fell asleep chuckling to myself and I thought that's probably like all of these things that I'm going to realise that's really hurt me. I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning, I'm going to feel bad. And I didn't. I just, every time I've ever thought of it since, it's made me laugh. Maybe that's just because he's such a brat. Yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, I, I, everyone knows that, but still. But I'm hoping that that meant something, because to me, when I read a, a review, you know, like I did, I got reviews that said I was really, really, really good. It's not like I believe those. I'm somewhere in the middle. Mm. And, and my position is kind of reflected between the really good reviews and the really bad ones. I know what I think. Mm. I know. I've done work that I'm really, really proud of that hasn't been noticed. And this is why I think I try not to be too um, unhappy with things not being, you know, noticed or whatever, because by the same token, I've done things that I don't think are very good that I've been unfairly praised for. Mm. So I think it works out about fair. But doesn't it prove as well, you know, you can, you can get reviews on the exact same moment. Of well, that's that what's interesting. I realise it's totally subjective because you tend to find the same thing, that the moments that the reviewers pick out, whether they're going to use them as an example of what's wrong with the production or what's right, what makes you the supreme actor of your generation or what makes you woefully miscast and why you're even doing it, are the same moments. Yeah. Generally, they just think, oh, there's... And obviously, it's, it's normally a bit of an obvious moment, mm. you know. 
Um, so that's been quite interesting. I'm not saying I'm cured, but... <laughs> But it certainly worked better. Maybe one day I can just not. I have friends who I admire who don't read them at all, but I'm not there yet. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess it's that thing, isn't it? Trying to compartmentalise the the good and the bad, because you know the, the good's not going to make you perform any better necessarily, and the bad's. Maybe not. I don't think you need to compartmentalise them if you treat them all with kind of benevolent contempt. Mm. You know, they don't know. They don't know. It's just opinions. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah, their yeah. job to pretend to have an opinion even when they don't. To be, you know, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, they got to write something. Yeah, exactly. They got to write something, mm. haven't they? You it's, know, it's kind of the same with sort of modern social media as well and stuff. You no, know, of like, course mm. it is. Or outrage, or yeah. whatever. You yeah, know, yeah. It's like, yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. People pretending to be offended or pretending to be, you know, pretending that someone has had a row when in fact they've just had a conversation, or you know, but. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's been said before, but, you know, everyone likes to read a really nice review of yourself. There's a difference between that and thinking it's true. And I've I've been witness to, and probably suffered from, in the early days, of having moments ruined by them being over-described. Mm. You know, you can tell when an actor is coming to a moment when time stands still. <laughs> you know, because yeah, yeah, it yeah, gets yeah. little inverted commas around it. And then it's like... <clears throat> This, you know, and yeah, then yeah, yeah. after a couple of months, if you're not careful, it's got double inverted, and then it's got fucking Belisha beacons round it, you know. <laughs> and that's what happens. Yeah, it kind yeah. of ruins drawing people's attentions to, you know. Yeah. Yeah. What's it like being a high-profile actor in a, in a social media world, though? I mean, do you come across criticism? directed directly at you you know I mean it's one yeah. thing to read it in a newspaper but when someone like yeah, I did, you or whatever yeah but you know I don't you know, my attitude towards people who don't like me is oh, I probably wouldn't like them as opposed to what it might have been at one stage is how, how can I make this person yeah. like me yeah you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Getting, like, getting approval from yeah them. it's not a great surprise and in fact I often write things because I think oh this will get rid of some people who probably wouldn't be my friends <laughs> I mean I think if this was really yeah, exactly. Well, I like you know, if you're doing Man in the High Castle, and you might be followed by people who enjoy. Because there was a point where I would deliberately post things to offend Nazis, to offend right wingers. Fuck off! Oh, I love that. No, exactly. Yeah. Like you shouldn't be yeah, following yeah, you me. Wanna, you're going to yeah, be disappointed by me. Down, don't, yeah. don't, don't follow me. You're not going to like me. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't want to offend them. I just want them if they go. Oh, Do you think people were following you because you know they? They certainly were. Character. They certainly were early on. Mm. I mean, I think Man in the High Castle became a bit more complex, a bit less yeah. easy to, you know. But the way it was presented, ironically, we thought of this kind of couple as a kind of ideal Nazi family. I had lots of followers, you know, people whose, you know, what's the picture, you, your avatar or whatever, yeah. were pictures of me who were right wingers, more than right wingers, Nazis. Wow. Yeah. You know, the idea that they would express disappointment in some of my opinions is not something I was going to worry about. In fact, it's a good way of what I would call flushing the pipes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So to speak. And I don't, you know, my, my if someone irritates me, I'll mute them. Mm. If they irritate, I don't want to mm. offend people. If someone's offensive, I'll block them. Yeah. If someone just tends to say stuff that just gets on my tits a bit, I just try not to pay attention. Engage, yeah. And also my attitude towards it, I just like imagine it's like um, having people around your house, or, like, uh, or being in a pub full of people you like and just chipping in and taking the piss and whatever. Yeah, that's what it should be. But like. if anyone you wouldn't want round, yeah, you know, I feel happy to just only block them if I want them to know. But most of the time, I just look the other way. Do you have a soft block. What's a soft? That's block? when you block them and then you unblock them immediately, so then they're not following you and you're not following them. But they, no. don't, they don't know. They don't know. No. Look at this. But that's the thing. I'm not trying to kind of punish people. I'm not trying to do all this tit-for-tat stuff because you can't win. I'm not going to try to convince anyone or change anyone's mind. Mm. I used to be like that. I think I want to try and convince people. But actually, there are some people that are so far gone. Yeah. There's a lot of noise on those platforms, aren't there? So that's the thing is, you you know, you can't always shout over the ongoing noise. And why should you? Yeah. Um, Well, Rufus, we normally end the podcast by asking our guests for their advice for our listeners that might have blank moments or any struggles in their lives, Steve? What would your advice be? Um, um, I don't know. I would say that um, the blank moments, It's. I suppose it's what I said before, is that actually, you know, the, the blank moments are... Um, that's where uh, 
that's where peace is. You know, for me, it, the the relationship. I used to be terrified if someone had said to me when I was young, "You're going to go in an isolation tank." It would have terrified me because I was afraid of that blank. But the only thing that was there to be scared of was my fear. Mm. Actually, you know that it's. Um, I think it's the most beautiful thing in the world if you can make friends with it and mm. that's where God is you know I guess as well for a lot of people blank moments are isolation in that way you, literally you're just dealing with yourself and some people you know quite maybe scared of that scared of being with themselves yeah but it's like meditation you don't have to you don't have to think about yourself you know sometimes being with yourself can be by letting go of all that letting go of yourself actually it's the self is the problem, <laughs> you know, yeah. that actually I used to struggle. I tried to meditate, you know, I used to struggle and I'd sit there and, and I remember talking to someone. I just sit there and like the joke I made was that meditating for me is just thinking about my career with my eyes closed for 20 minutes, you know. But but actually when someone said to me, don't fight that, just let it come and go. And, you know, that the, the blankness where you're not thinking about the past or thinking about the future or they're actually just inhabiting the space with no, in the same way that discovering for me mundanity is what's happy is because that's kind of a blank. You're not caught up in the dream of what will be or making up for what the past is. You're not complaining. You're not explaining. You're just there. Yeah. And that's the least self you have. And that is kind of, that's happiness as far as I'm concerned. Just existing. Just existing, yeah. Mm. The rest is, you know, this um, pursuit of happiness thing. It's a bit of a trick, I think, because yeah. you can't. Yeah. You know. And just appreciate what you got. Yeah. Good stuff. That's such a beautiful place to end, I think, actually. That's very nice. Thank you so much, Rufus. Right. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to sit down and talk to you. Well, that was Rufus Sewell on the what, Blank Podcast. What a nice guy. Lovely guy. And it was just so great to be... Actually, Rufus is a bundle of energy. Really, yeah. like, you know, really great to talk to. And you had lots of stuff to tell us about. It was really open, sort of quite early doors. Yeah. Sort of got straight into it. was happy Absolutely. to talk about anxiety yeah. and stuff like that. Um, or there is, his father passing away when he was young and, yeah. and talking about sort of going through that. And yeah, what just a perfect guest for us, yeah. really. Yeah. With some great stories. Yeah. And very open about blank moments, which is always good. Yeah, top man. So thank you, Rufus, for joining us. Like, really enjoyed that. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, now, we've had, as ever, loads of questions. I say questions, sorry, comments from our lovely listeners, uh, particularly on Twitter, where they're very active. I'm going to read a couple for you out now. Uh, Helena Senger says, procrastinating today to avoid essay writing. I know that well. Uh, while lis- whilst listening to the wonderful Blank Pod, refreshing to hear quality, unbiased interviews of some really interesting people. Well, that's nice. Thanks, Helena. Yeah, that's really nice. The quality I like. Yeah, that's. Uh, I don't think anyone. I mean, I've, yeah, I mean, I've never quality, really so. kind of thought of us as being quality, but that's really nice. Yeah, it's a real confidence booster. And we've had one from Barbara, who says, "I think it. I thought it would be very boring. This is the linking to the Reese podcast. Yeah, I thought yeah. it'd be very boring, and I didn't think Reese Shearsmith would say much, but he did." And it was very interesting and enjoyable. Well, thank you, Barbara. I didn't think Reese was going to be boring at all. No, I knew no. he'd be brilliant. Yeah, but that's was. nice that uh, well, we've turned someone around. Yeah, exactly. That's what it's all about. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank Changing you for your... people's opinions exactly. of us exactly <laughs> with quality content. Uh, well, thank you very much for your tweets. Uh, you can, of course, tweet us at Blank Pod. Exactly. And we're on Instagram and Facebook, which is also at Blank Pod. And we've got an email address. Yeah, it's theblankpodcast2018 at gmail.com. Wonderful. We'd love to hear from you on whatever platform you desire. Also, I'd like to quickly mention that we do have a Patreon page. So if you want to get in t- into helping us, supporting us do this podcast, you can. For as little, Jim, as 59p a week. Blimey, that is not much. No. So, you know, you get this quality content for 59p yeah. a week with some great, great guests. So, yeah, if you would like to help support us or if you've got a small business and you want to get um, a little bit more coverage, um, we're very happy to help you with that. So please do get in contact. The Patreon page is uh, patreon.com backslash blank pod. And they also, I think patrons get the pod a day early. They'll get it a day early. perks on there and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and we'll have more perks as we go. But, yeah, we just want to build up the, that, that following on there. So if you, you could... 
give us some help and support us in this venture well, that would be very very much appreciated it would indeed but also just listening is also appreciated so thank you very much for your support this week we're back next week with another guest on a blank podcast so Giles have a great week and you and everybody else thanks very much see you soon soon bye bye with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.